I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning, find, if you will, John's Gospel, chapter number 1. John's Gospel, chapter number 1. God is good all the time, and that's a Bible fact. Amen? And whatever God does, God's judgments are true and righteous, holy altogether. Amen? God makes no mistakes. We're glad you're here today. Ms. Naira, good to see you. Uh, any word from the insurance company or anything like that? All right. We're praying for you and praying that tree stays where it needs to stay. Amen? Amen. John's Gospel, chapter number one. We have been spending time. If you need a Bible, by the way, please raise your hand. Men and men will bring you a Bible. We want everybody to have a Bible in case you don't have one. See, I'm not making this stuff up as we go along today. It's in the book. We are looking at the lesser known disciples. Now, the disciples, we know the 12 disciples. Every Christian should have them memorized and should know them. That should be just part of uh, your basic Bible understanding. But as we study these men, let me turn this on, by the way. They yell at me if I don't turn this on. There we go. Somehow it picks up better on the Internet for some reason, if anybody's watching. Uh, As we're studying these men, we see their unique personalities. They are all completely different. There is not one of these men that is the same. Even as brothers, we know brothers... Uh, may have same traits, but they all of us have unique personalities as siblings. And these men that the Lord Jesus Christ has picked, uh, again, various backgrounds, different trades, uh, right-wing zealots, men who be considered traitors for leaving the, the nation of Israel to work for Rome and be tax collectors. It's just a unique bunch of men. And it reminds me of what God has done with every single one of us that all of us come from different places in life, different walks of life in different areas. And it's the saving grace of Jesus Christ that brings us together, that we have that one mind, that one goal now, which is the cause of Jesus Christ. Things of this world seem very, uh, should fade away. We want to be like the, the men and women of the book of Hebrews, And of Moses of old, where it said they looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. You know, we are coming up on September 11th. We are remembering the 20th anniversary. It's hard to believe that's 20 years ago. And those of us who were alive remember it very well. We all can tell where we were and what we were doing when we first heard of the news and all that took place. And... uh, And all that has transpired in the last 20 years, it's been a very strange 20 years, has it not? And all that has gone on, things have changed drastically and dramatically around the world. And uh, we should be saying, you know what, things aren't getting better. Things are going where God said they would go, according to his word. And you and I, our goal, while we are to be good citizens and try to be some salt and light in this dark world, realizing that our goal is not to so much reform the world because that's not going to happen. Our goal was to get people to, the, to Christ because this world will pass away and everything in it will pass away and only the things done for Jesus Christ will matter come eternity. Now in John's Gospel chapter number one, we are going to look at the man Philip and see what the Bible has to say about him. The first three evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and their Gospels uh, deal mainly with the eternal facts in the life of Christ, whereas John, in his writing, uses historical data uh, for working out the picture of our teacher, our master, our savior, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in John's gospel, it's slowly unfolding from beginning to end the great spiritual concepts of the kingdom of God. Again, in Matthew's, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are considered the synoptic gospels. They, they are analysts in recording the external evidence of work and, and word and proof of the divine mission of Jesus Christ. Whereas John, through the Holy Spirit of God, his aim is to is throughout the rec- to record the miracles and parables is to show the great principle of divine life and it's uh, unfolding under these outward conditions. John only gives us seven miracles. And those seven miracles are given to us for a distinct purpose, to point to something. All three Gospels state and talk about Philip. They mention Philip. And he is there. He is given a lot of space in our Bible, as some other men we saw did not get much space at all. His name is in the list of the disciples. Whenever time the disciples are listed, you'll, again, you'll find Philip there listed amongst them. It is John's gospel who, put, who puts some uh, missing pieces in, he, where we learn some things about Philip that we didn't learn about James the Less or or even Simon the Zealot, we didn't learn too much about them. But Philip, we have some information that will help us and, 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 and learn some things about him. Now, I, I want us to keep our finger here in, in John, but go with me to Matthew chapter number 10. And I think I just want to show you something very quickly. We haven't pointed this out. We've been kind of saving it just a little bit. And it's not earth-shattering, but in Matthew's gospel, chapter number 12... I'm sorry, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 10, we have the, the 12 disciples listed. They're given by name. And I want you to understand that the disciples, for the most part, are broken up into three sections. Three sections of fours. You have the first four, the second four, and the third four. Peter always is the first disciple to be mentioned. He is always in the top first four disciples mentioned. And we see in verse number 2, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And now we move on to the second group. And Philip is always listed as number 5. Philip is given that first place in the second group of disciples. Philip, And so Matthew and Mark and Luke will record him as such, and even Acts. John does not give us a list of the 12 disciples at all. So we have to find them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in Acts. But Philip holds that place there as the leader of the second group. Now, when we break these men up by groups, it is no way at all saying who's more important or who holds more position, but it just seems that God did break them up into these three groups of people. They would break up into groups of twos later on and go out into the cities preaching and, and witnessing and, and sharing the gospel to those who they came in contact with. But back in John's gospel, chapter number one, we come upon Philip. Now, Philip is an unusual name because Philip is not a Hebrew name. Philip is a Greek name. And Matthew, as we said a few weeks ago, Matthew was not a, a, uh, a Hebrew name. Matthew is a Greek name as well. Matthew's real name would be Levi. And we are left to wonder, is Philip's real name Philip, or is that his birth name, or is this some surname he was given later on, or did his parents, being Jewish, actually give him a Greek name? We are left to wonder all about that. And uh, so we don't have that information uh, for us. Now, 
as we re- go to uh, John's Gospel, and we come across Philip, and we find him listed for the first time in verse number 43, we see uh, Philip listed here. He says in verse, chapter 1, verse 43, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, findeth Philip, and say to him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and of the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Let's bow forward a prayer and ask the Lord to help us now with the message. Father, bless the time, bless the hour now. And I pray, dear God, you'll speak to our hearts through your word. We thank you, Lord, for all that's been accomplished. And I pray, dear God, again, for our, the family members of our church who are hurting, who have struggled, who have lost the material possessions. But we thank you and praise you, dear God, that families are safe and health has been preserved and lives have been preserved here, even through this terrible storm. Bless them as they seek to repair and to restore things. And bless us this day. May our hearts be in tune with the word of God. May we cast off the world for just a few moments. And may we listen to what heaven has to say that we may be better Christians and and, and a better uh, tool fit for the master's use as we go out into this world. Bless this time now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to Philip here and I want you to notice several things about Philip that I think will be important for us. We see, first of all, that uh, Philip was a man who was a seeker who found Jesus Christ. He was a seeker who found Jesus Christ. John tells us that the day after the call of Andrew, Jesus was minded to go into Galilee, and that finding Philip, he saith unto him, follow me, as we see there in verse number 43. The first person Jesus sought was Philip, and he became his disciple. There is a little bit of controversy, not controversy or discussion, but to to be clearly understood, the first disciple truly would be Philip. Some people would say it would be Simon or Andrew, but really in in the scope of things, uh, those men have not been called yet, although they have been found and they have met the Savior. It is Philip who is the first man that the Lord Jesus Christ walks up to and says, Philip, I want you to follow me. I want you to be a, a, a man who's going to dedicate your life to studying me and, 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 and being used by me uh, for the purpose of the ministry. And, and so Philip is found by the Lord Jesus Christ. We often use phrases like, you know, I remember the day I found Christ. And understand something, we understand that phrase, and I use that phrase, you use that phrase, but understand something, uh, you didn't find anything, God found you. Because God has been seeking for all of us, and God has been and putting the things out there to draw all of us to him. Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so Christ is calling men, Christ wants people to be saved and to know him in a personal way. The whole world has an opportunity to come to Christ. We had an opportunity that night to preach at a funeral home. And many people there were lost and did not know Christ as Savior. And we were able to stand up and try to be a comfort to a hurting family who just lost a young son. And, uh, and, and, but we gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ and told them of God's great love and mercy and how Christ loves them and Christ died for them and how they can have salvation through Jesus Christ. This, so Philip, as he's, whoever he is and wherever we, he may be doing in life at this point in time, as we put all the pieces together, Philip is a man who, who was somebody who was looking for the Messiah. Just as Andrew 
was a disciple of John the Baptist and a man studying the Word of God and looking for the Messiah, Philip is of the same mindset. And Philip and, and uh, these men are all from the same community, as the Bible tells us. They are of the city of Bethsaida, and the, the, the city and the home of Andrew and Peter. Now, after Philip meets the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ puts his hand upon him and tells him, I want you to follow me, it may seem strange to read that, but why would he say that? Well, we're given more information because it says in verse number 45, Philip findeth Nathanael, who, by the way, Nathanael's other name would be Bartholomew, saying that we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. From looking at this verse, we get more insight into the personality of Philip because Philip finds his friend Nathanael. Philip findeth Nathanael. First, the, the Lord findeth Philip. And that word findeth, by the word, mean, it, it's a word that is to, to search diligently. Later on in your Bible, when Barnabas is working in the city of, uh, of uh, Antioch, he leaves Antioch and goes up to Tarsus to find Saul. He searches for Saul to bring him back so that he can work in the city of Antioch with him. Same thing, searching, looking diligently to find somebody. The Lord Jesus Christ searched and found Philip. And then Philip, when he meets Jesus Christ, goes and he searches and he finds for his dear friend Nathaniel. And you'll find as you go through the scripture that Philip and Nathaniel always seem to be tied together. And I get the understanding from scripture that Philip and Nathaniel are very close and dear friends. It's a wonderful thing to have friendship. You think of, and, I, and, and the, the friendship is something that I, I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's on my mind uh, for various reasons I don't have time to go into. But the idea that God gave us friendship. That God gave us the bonds of friendship. There is the, the, the bonds that a man and a woman may have, but there is the bond that a man can have with another man. That's nothing immoral about it, but a, a love that, that binds soul together. The friendship that a woman may have with another woman, a, a, a love of friendship that binds them together. We see this great friendship with Saul and Jonathan and the, the love that those two men had for each other as men, as decent moral men who loved each other. And when Jonathan lost his life, Jonathan wept that his best friend in all the world had just died and, and moaned and groaned and wept. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. There's a unique bond that God has created that we can have with each other with the bonds of friendship. And, and every human being ought to pray, God, give me some human being that I can have that bond of friendship with. We ought to pray for that in marriage, that husbands and wives should be best friends and have that bond of friendship. But God has given that so that uh, we can have that one with another. It's a unique and wonderful thing that God has created. I guarantee if Satan was in charge, he wouldn't give us that ability. Amen? But God, in his all-knowing wisdom, has created the bonds of friendship. And here we see that Philip with his friendship with Nathaniel, says, I found Jesus Christ. My first goal is to tell my dearest and best friend. Let me find Nathaniel and tell Nathaniel that I have found him. Notice he says here, Philip finds Nathaniel and said, Then we, I was like that, we, have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. Understand, 
from the interpretation of this, Philip was a man who was studying the scripture. Philip was a man who was devoting his life to to the word of God and, and looking for the coming Messiah. He is not some buddy clear out of the blue. What? Jesus? Who's Jesus? No, he had been studying the Bible. He knew his Old Testament. And now that when he finds his friend, he became a soul winner. Again, friendship ought to provide us with the most fertile soil for soul winning. Those people we know and have a common bond with those whom we sat down, went to dinner with, and watched television programs with, and, and went to uh, amusement parks and, and playgrounds, or wherever we've gone, those people we know and whom we have that bond with friendship uh, ought to be the ones that we go to first when we discover Christ and are saved. Hey, I, let me tell you what happened. And maybe you and your friend both have been searching and looking, and you just happen to come upon it first. I, I have found Christ. I've found Jesus. I know what it means now to have eternal life. And I know what it means now to be saved. And let me share that with you and tell you. When I was a young man and I was in high school and I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I was, the, the people I spent my time witnessing to were, the, were the, the guys I hung out with all throughout high school. And this is crazy, but I'll tell it anyway. One of the places they, my friends would all like to go hang out would be in the cemetery over there in Arlington Cemetery and off of Schuyler Ave. They'd all, we'd drive in there and, and uh, we'd just hang out in there some t- nights. They'd be drinking and partying, but they'd still, I'd still go in there with them and we'd sit there in the cemetery. And while we're in the cemetery, I'd be sharing the gospel with them. I was still in high school, still learning a lot of things, still wasn't where I needed to be. But I, I'm thankful God... Uses us where we are, amen? <laughs> Don't worry about getting it right. Just, just worry about doing it, and God will put all that together as you go on. My friends are drinking, and I'm in a cemetery at nighttime, and I'm talking about you. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, that's all I knew. So I was telling them about Jesus there. See, this guy, he's dead. We're all going to be dead. That's why you need to know Jesus, amen? And you need to have Christ as your Savior. And, and we just... I go on there. My friends, I, I wanted to talk. To, I wanted to see my friends saved. I wanted to see them know Christ. And sadly, none of them came to know Christ as Savior yet that I know of. And one of them has passed away. And, and uh, rest I've, a lot of them I've lost contact with. But others I still have contact with. And I still talk to them. Not in the cemetery. But I still talk to them. And I share Christ with them. Because they're my friends. And even though we don't hang out and do things together, but there's still that bond that we once had that joined us together. I I cannot forsake and forget the bond that I once had with these people. And that they watched my back and I watched their back. And I want to tell them of Christ. And Philip, for all his faults that we'll see... I still haven't recovered from camp, by the way. I'm still hoarse throat, hoarse from yelling. But Philip here, understand, wants them. He wants his friend to know him. And Nathaniel, by the way, is a man whose heart is receptive. Nathaniel's a man who wants to know. It's always good when you find somebody that wants to know. Sometimes you have to work with somebody who doesn't want to know. But here's the the secret thing, because you never really know what's truly going on in, in a lot of people's hearts. You never know what's going on. 
Look, if you will, at John's Gospel, chapter number 6. We want to move on and look at some other things about our, our, our friend Philip here and this man who will someday rule in the millennial reign with the Lord Jesus Christ over the tribes of Israel, who he was and what he did. But again, he was a soul winner. He sought his friend. And Bartholomew and Nathaniel would become part of the, of the disciples and, and they would work together and minister together. But we found the Christ. In chapter number 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. This is a very important miracle in our Bible. It is one of the few miracles that is recorded in all four of your Gospels. And it must be important. And it says in verse number 5, And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company, he saith unto Philip, notice he, he singles out Philip. He says, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I'm not sick. I'm not contagious. I'm not dying. All right, just so you know. I know you do something today, everybody's like running for the hills. It's, you know, we still got other things going on in life besides the C word. The word which shall not be mentioned. Lord looks at Philip and says, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? 5,000 people. Now, some people speculate there's, there's 20,000 people there. You've got 5,000 uh, men, it says. So there must be at least five or 6,000 women. And then you put children in that mix. You may have up to 20,000 people here all looking for lunch. And how do you feed these people? How do you take care of them? And even if there is only 5,000 people, how do you feed 5,000 people? That's still a great miracle. No restaurant in the area would be sufficient enough to take care of them. I mean, we crashed McDonald's last weekend with, uh, with about 30 kids, and we opened the door, and I, I was looking at the McDonald's workers. They're all like, as all these kids compiling into McDonald's. And, uh, but praise God, they, they handled it like troopers. And there's some old lady, she was like a sergeant there, some short little old lady. She's like, all right, line up, and, and we're going to break up into groups. And she, boy, they snapped our order out of there. It was like, you know, the Krusty Krab on steroids. We got out of there in record time. Little kid lingo there for some of you all right verse number six and this he said to prove him for he himself knew what he would do and philip answered and said 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them everyone that may take a little i believe all the disciples had a responsibility almighty god in his creation gives all of us a responsibility in life we all have jobs. I believe each of the disciples had a responsibility. They had something they were in charge of. We know that Judas Iscariot was in charge of the money. He was the treasurer of the group. Kind of interesting. Maybe we'll get there later on that they must have really trusted Judas if they're going to trust him with the money, which a lot of lessons in there. And I think from learning from Scripture, I think Philip was the guy who was in charge of uh, the food department. Everybody has a responsibility. I mean, it was just, hey, what are we going to do for lunch today? Philip had this responsibility of what he was going to do. Somebody had to be in charge of the food. They had to figure out how much they needed and, and how, how to get it and, and buy it and, and have it because they had to eat it as they traveled around and as they ministered. This was a responsibility. They just couldn't wait for Jesus, you know, to just say, hey, just break out sandwiches every day. It didn't work that way. They would have to buy these things. Remember, they would go into the city of Samaria and they would buy the lunches in Samaria and bring the lunch out to the well when the, the Lord Jesus Christ was dealing with the woman there. 
So Philip, I think, is the one in charge of the food department or uh, getting the meals when it was time for mealtime. And he looks at Philip and says, how are, we, how are we going to get the bread to feed these folks? You're in charge of the food. Philip, let me ask you, how are we going to get enough food to feed these people? And I want us to get a look into the mind of Philip here and how Philip thinks. You may find yourself as Philip here this morning. Philip answers and says, you know, 200 uh, penny worth or, is not enough. It's not sufficient. He's, uh, it's not sufficient to take care of everyone that they may have a little. Philip is analyzing the situation. Philip is studying. He's figured it out. He's calculated they could pull uh, an all out offering and, and out of the bunch and maybe get 200 denarii, uh, 200 penny worth, if you want to put it that way, or else how much else they had in the kitty. We take this money and this money. We put all this here together and, and put this together. We, you know, it's, it's still not adding up to that we can get the food necessary. And by the way, a, a denarii is basically is one day's wage. We make a lot more in our day and time, but back in those days, again, putting all this, trying to figure all that out. And I won't go into all the figuring it out, even though I have it written out here, how much food is necessary. Philip adds it all up. Philip figures it out. At the end of his thought process, Philip says, it can't be done. It can't be done. You know what Phil, you, you learn about Philip here? Is it never entered into his mind that the Lord Jesus Christ was supernatural. It never entered, which is interesting because Philip, being the first disciple, would have been there when the Lord turned water into wine. You think that somewhere in his analytical mind, in his studious mind, he would have figured it out that, hey, we got Christ here. Let's throw that into the equation. But it doesn't enter into Philip's mind yet. Philip is still trying to figure it out. He was stuck on facts and figures, and he, and he missed faith altogether. And this is the problem with a lot of Christians today, is we put all the facts and figures together, we add everything up, and at the end of the day we say, you know what, it's not going to work, it's not possible. Because in our equation we forgot faith. We forgot the Bible. We forgot what God said. We forgot what Jesus Christ can do. Can I give you a topic you don't like to hear about and nobody likes to hear about? Because it's, it's uncomfortable. But when it comes to money, we sit there. And listen, I am not a mathematician. I'm not the person. I'm a, I don't have an analytical mind. I don't add it all up and say, I'm the kind of guy, well, let's just go. Amen. And we'll figure it out as we go along. My wife hates that. You know, let's go out for the day. Where are we going? I don't know. Just go. And we'll go, what do we have to bring? What do we got to do this? It's like, just bring ourselves, amen? We're going to bring a wallet, let's go. And she's, and she's got to have the whole thing mapped out. And so we usually spend three hours mapping it out and never get anywhere. Philip says, we can't do it. It doesn't add up. Sometimes in life we say, you know what, here's what I got. Here's what I and if we do all this, we still can't give. We still can't. Instead of figuring, God said we should, can do it. God said, if you learn to trust me first, I can put it together. How many times have you heard the expression, we're trying to make ends meet? Can I help you? If you don't put Jesus Christ in the equation, the ends will never meet. But you put God in there, 
And somehow God takes care of everything. And Philip was trying to figure out how to make ends meet, and he couldn't because he forgot Jesus Christ. People don't like to hear about tithing. They, they coil at tithing. They, oh, that's, you know, it's not New Testament. They give every excuse under the sun because we've done the homework, we've done the math, we've added everything up, and it's just not going to work. Well, did God say to do it? Yes, God said to do it. Then if God said to do it, and we listen to what God says, then somehow it's going to work. Salvation. I mean, all I have to do is believe on Jesus Christ. Yes. What do I have to do? Believe on Jesus Christ. Well, how's that work? I really don't know. I just know it works. Don't ask me. How's it work? I don't know. I just know it works. That Jesus said, believe upon me and I'll give you eternal life. Okay? What do I got? Nothing. I just got to believe. It's a matter of faith, not by works. And God gives me eternal life. I don't understand how electricity works. I just know I plug things in, it comes on. Then I, I start flipping breakers. I learned electricity when I was a kid. My brother taught me electricity when I was a kid. Amen? He said, stick your finger in the socket. It feels awesome. And so I'm four years old. And, and uh, that was mocked me. That's why I had curly hair as a kid. One too many fingers in the socket. My brother gave me a paper clip. He goes, here, do this. So I'm lucky I'm alive. Older brothers, you're lucky you're alive. And so, ma! And so you yell and go downstairs and watch your brother get beat, and you're like, smiling in the corner. <laughs> but I figured out electricity. Don't do that. That's bad. It hurts. We put Christ in the equation. Things work out. Philip was, in this case, he had Jesus Christ. He's seen several miracles. He's seen water turn to wine. He's seen God do things. And yet, what are we, how are we going to feed everybody? I don't know. You got Jesus right here. You have Jesus Christ. And you're forgetting that part. That he can do anything. So he's a man, again, the analytical mind. Who's studying. And he's going to continue this in his life. With his analytical, study, studious mind. Trying to reason and figure things out. Everything from the human perspective. I don't like this. But in, in a lot of things I've read about Philip. Several people have referred to him as being slow-witted. He's not slow-witted. He's just slow to, to get some things. He's a brilliant man. And a smart man. And, 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 and a Christian man. But he's just taken some time to... For the spiritual truths to apply. And sometimes in our life as we go along, it takes a little while for the spiritual truths to really get in until we say, you know what? I get it now. I understand it that God is in control of these things. We walk by faith, not by sight. God said, do it. It's going to work. Hey, Moses, <laughs> take your people, go down by the Red Sea and park it there, and I'm going to bring an enemy over, and they're going to pin you against the Red Sea. Now what? Well, if we get enough lifeboats and we do this, we do it. No. Nobody, no. Nobody thought God's going to part the ocean. Nobody even thought about that, but God did. God knew that. Hey, Joshua, take your army, march around the city seven times, and, and then watch the walls fall down. No, that's nobody's battle plan, but it was God's battle plan. Hey, David, get some stones and a slingshot. We're going to take somebody out. Nobody, they're putting armor on them, they're putting swords in saying, I can't do this, I only need a slingshot and God. God's ways are not our ways. How can I give? How can I do this? How can I do that? Well, you put God in there, it all makes sense. 
Because you've got God. Look at John chapter number 14. By the way, you know the story that the Lord does feed everybody, and Philip sees it, but I don't think he still quite got it. I don't feel too bad sometimes when I read about these men. Sometimes it takes a long time for things to get into my head. Just got to kind of keep beating it and beating it, and finally it's like, hey, wait a minute. In John chapter number 14, a very famous chapel, the chapter of the Lord is in the upper room with his disciples. He is getting ready to depart. He is giving them uh, last minute information, things they'll need to know. These next several chapters you'll dig for eternity and never hit bottom on the truths you'll find here that this night that he taught them. And he says in verse number one, you know the phrase, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Now here we have Thomas. Thomas saith to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known the Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip said to them, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Now, think about the statement Philip has just made here. This is three years in, in Bible college with Jesus. Three years seminary program. Three years of studying with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father's house, and, and you guys know how to get there. And Thomas is like, no, we don't. Which is like, really? You don't? Well, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way to heaven. And, uh, and if you had known the Father, you would know me. And, and, and Philip's like, well, show us the Father. You say, what's the point? The point is this, that, my friend, we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. We believe the Bible teaches that, that Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. Again, Philip is a, uh, a, the practical calculator who had little patience really with anything mystical he doesn't understand mystical or spiritual things it's it's not how his mind operates which again is showing us that god uses all types of people you don't we all don't have to be wired the same way we all think and see things differently sometimes and philip is one of those people to him seeing is believing he has to see it before it makes sense in his world and to other of the disciples, they just believe and know, we don't know how it's going to work out, but it's going to work out because we have Jesus. And Philip's like, that, that, I can't understand that, that line of thinking. Don't we have to see it first and touch it? And to Philip, he's been with Jesus Christ all these years, and he still doesn't understand the Trinity. He still doesn't understand who Jesus Christ fully is. And the Lord looks at him and says, verse number 9, Have I been with you so long... And yet thou not known me, Philip. He that has seen me, seen the Father. And how sayest that thou show us the Father? This is a really a stern rebuke to Philip. And the Lord sometimes has to speak sternly to people. Sometimes he speaks sternly to us. Don't you get it? And Philip, in this tender moment, Philip, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. How long have I been with you? 
Don't you get it? Haven't you understood it yet? That you've seen the Father, you've seen me, you see, we're, we're one and the same. Distinct personalities, but we are the, in the same thought process, in the same wavelength. We're, we're, you've seen each other. We've seen me. You've seen the Father. And yet Philip doesn't get it. I think Philip, after this episode, must have felt some shame. After we get rebuked, sometimes we feel shame. Nobody likes to be rebuked. Nobody likes to be made to feel stupid. No, the Lord's not trying to make them feel stupid. But when we get rebuked, sometimes we realize I'm, I'm supposed to have gotten this by now, and I haven't. I must be an idiot. And sometimes we are. We don't like to think that way, but sometimes that's, that's just I'm still not getting it. My brain's not catching on too quick here. Philip had no doubt that who Jesus was. Philip, after hearing this, had no doubt that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can get to heaven, to the Father, except through Jesus Christ. Philip finally is beginning to understand it. It is this revelation here at this final hour of our Lord's life, the final hours, I should say, of our Lord's life as he's imparting this, that three years of learning finally are starting to click in Philip's brain. They're starting to figure out who Christ is. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows that. But the idea that he's God is now truly clicking with his brain. Which encourages me, by the way, because, again, God doesn't want us to have it all figured out before we start being used. I grow weary with, with people who spend their life in school. Again, I'm not against education. I'm not. I think it's great. But I know people who are in their 40s and still going to school. When are you going to start doing something? How much more do you need to know before you eventually start doing something? All you do is sit there and learn, 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 and you never do anything with it. How much do you have to have? How many more degrees do you have to have? How many more uh, diplomas on the wall before you can finally go out and actually do something? Again, these men don't have it all figured out, but they're going out doing. And they're learning as they're going and doing. And one thing I've learned in ministry is we don't always have to have everybody knowing everything before, they just, before we start using them. They just know, know a little, but they're going to learn as they go. I think back in my life when my pastor made me a Sunday school teacher. I'm like, I'm not ready for that. I know very little. Well, you're going to start learning. What you learn, teach to somebody else. That's all. And you give it to somebody else. Too often, too many churches, they want everybody to, they only hire the professionals, the guys who've graduated from school to come in and help them. And listen, that's not us. We may be a small crowd today because a lot of folks are away and not here, but we just use the people God gave us. It's the purpose of this church is to educate each one of you to be used for the master and to serve him. I'm not calling up Bible college and saying, can you send somebody down to help us? No, we got, we got help here. This, we have good people here. We may not have it all figured out yet, but we're learning. We're all going to go in the right direction and learn as we go. Sometimes every now and then, you know what so-and-so taught in Sunday school? Yeah, I heard that. It's wrong, but we'll straighten them out. Don't worry. I think and people flip out on me. How can you have a Sunday school teacher? 
because he's human like me and everybody else around here just makes mistakes. We'll straighten it out. It's not that big a deal, right? By the way, why aren't you teaching? <laughs> I've had a lot of people yell at me about what other people have taught, but they haven't done nothing for Jesus Christ. And when you ask them to do something, you get a song and a dance on why they can't do anything. So I've got no time for you. You're not doing anything, so sit down in the corner and be quiet. And while somebody up there stumbles and fumbles, at least they're trying to do something. I'll take them every day, every day, over the crowd that just with the critical spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ with Philip, even though he has to get on to him, is still teaching him. Philip, don't you get it? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. The same love, the same compassion, the same mercy, the same care and desire. It's, it's, we're one and the same. So Philip is one of these men. Again, this is the last we see of Philip except for in the book of Acts where his name is mentioned again as being in the upper room waiting for the promise of the Father. But he is a man who has that analytical mind, a man who has to study, a man who has to figure things out. And, and we see him, first of all, who studied and said, you know, we found the Christ. And then we see him, a man who has to figure it out and, and, and weigh all the options before we can venture any, try anything. And if it doesn't make sense, we can't do it. And then even here at this last moment, he still doesn't have the spiritual figure all figured out yet. He's still learning. And our Lord has to get on to him. And, and even Thomas, by the way, that's a remarkable statement by Thomas. Well, how do, how, how do we know how to go to heaven? Really? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Didn't you pick that up somewhere along the line? So in, in Christianity, Christianity, again, is not about having it all figured out. It's not having everybody mind wired the same way. But it is having everybody's mind in the scriptures, trying to learn and growing in grace as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this day for your goodness and your mercy. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'll help us there this day. Lord, you know the hearts and Every individual, you know, every single person. I pray, dear God, if somebody here doesn't know Christ as Savior, help them this day to come and, and understand the gospel.